This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two pretty cool dudes. Paul Jaisley. Hello. And Nick White. Hey. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm super excited that you're here. This is an, an official Q&A episode. Fingers crossed that we don't have any weird audio issues, but this is an official Q&A episode. Before we start the show, I have one super-duper amazing announcement. On top of our Q&A episode for today, we're also releasing a digital version of the first-ever I Read Comic Books zine. It's the coolest thing. It's like 30-plus pages long, I think. It is absolutely gorgeous. I looked through the latest draft, and it is wrapping up today. It'll be released the day this episode comes out, so on Wednesday. But oh my gosh, it is chock full with so much cool shit made mm-hmm. by the I Read Comic Books people, some fans of I Read Comic Books. You guys won't even believe it. So go to ircbpodcast.com slash zine to just immediately trigger the download of the PDF. It's going to be so cool. But sorry, I'm way too excited about it because I'm going to mention it again after the break. Justifiably so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's fantastic, right, Paul? It's great. I can't. I'm so excited for people to see this. It is. Do you like listening to the show? We're going to love reading the, the physical version of the show even more. So yeah, I mean, it's not like transcriptions, but it's like articles and drawings and like yep. really cool pairings. It's there's so much cool stuff. I can't even get over it. But anyways, yeah. let's actually talk about the thing that we came here to talk about today, and that is comic books. <laughs> so I'll ask you the question I ask every single week: How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick. Sure. Uh, I've I've been pretty good. I'm a little tired. Got up pretty early this morning. Uh, it's Mother's Day uh, when we're recording, so it was time to go and visit Grandma and and go to church. That's nice. Spend 45 minutes at a place trying to eat breakfast, um, <laughs> and then you know going back to Grandma's and awkward silence with relatives. It was good. I uh, had a fun time. I'm also tired. <laughs> Did I say that already? Okay. Uh, c- comics are good, though. Oh, that's good. I've read quite a few lately. Uh, one of the ones that I want to talk about is Sixth Gun. Uh, I've read volumes two and three this week. I'm currently working on the fourth. Uh, that's written by Cullen Bunn, drawn by Brian Hurt, colored by Bill Crabtree. And I think the real takeaway from this book is that it's just really fun. And I know that that sounds like a platitude. Uh, that just sounds really trite, and I get that. Believe me, I have that level of self-loathing and introspection to think those thoughts, so of course I did. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> sure. But it's so rare to find a book that's just sort of a rip-roaring adventure that you... I mean, I'm not saying you can turn your brain off, but it's not, like, dark and gritty, and there are all sorts of mm-hmm. terrible people doing morally gray things with awful implications. Sure. It's just it's just fun, and I think what I think of a lot when I read this book is sort of Batman the Animated Series, and I know that sounds weird, but bear with me here. You've got this sort of cartoony aesthetic, and I realize cartoony is a stupidly loaded word, but here we go again, you know, dissecting my own thoughts, uh, but it's just, just this really well-animated look that does that wouldn't feel out of place as sort of a Saturday morning cartoon, mm-hmm. uh, not unlike Batman the Animated Series, but it also is capable of taking on some sort of slightly darker, slightly weightier overtones, not unlike how Batman the Animated Series did. Uh, Which I suppose makes sense that it it seems like it would be adapted really well, considering that they um, already tried to do a pilot for it 
with NBC, oh. and apparently that uh, got shut down, right? Didn't get shut down. The pilot just didn't get picked up. Hmm. Uh, and it also right, was right. optioned for a sci-fi, um, as an S-Y-F-Y, fuck you guys and your confusing name, <laughs> uh, a sci-fi <laughs> yeah. channel um, miniseries, but I guess that also didn't get picked up. Um but that being said, for those who are kind of wondering what this book is about, it's the sort of basically, the, you know, the five rings to rule them all, except it's six guns, uh, except they haven't always been revolvers. You have these weapons that over the years have taken the guise of other death dealing instruments. And this interesting in this uh, comic takes place in the postbellum uh, American West and sort of follows these these different guns that each have different powers. Um, one allows the the bearer to never, t- allows them to recover from any wounds they sustain. Another allows the um, carrier to bring back and summon back sort of as an undead, any person that they've killed with that gun. Another fires and shoots out pestilence. Um, another lets you see visions of the past, present, and future. Uh, and much like what right exactly (laughs) so they have all these weird powers and of course the implication is when you have all of these different ones if you bring them together not unlike captain planet um something special happens but it's not a weird bluish man with green hair in a in a red bathing suit or whatever you want to call what he's wearing uh instead speedo is speedo instead it brings about really really bad stuff that i don't want to get into too much but the bottom line is uh unlike pokemon uh you don't want to catch them all because bad shit happens uh <laughs> and so instead of telling professor oak's nephew gary to go fuck himself uh again really bad shit happens so we're following these characters and i, I don't want to get into it too much but it's just a lot of fun Apparently, Wikipedia says it's a weird West comic, which I guess is the genre for any mashup with Western. I'd never heard that before. Yeah. Now you know. Sure. Um, I you know, It's funny. I, I read the first three volumes of this a few years ago, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm not usually a fan of Westerns. I don't like fantasy stuff too much. Me but somehow this is a perfect mix of the two where it really clicked for me. I need to get back on it and finish up the other few volumes, but I really enjoyed it when I read it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the problem with the problem, it's not really a problem. It's their choice, but... Oni doesn't do a lot of sales, and when they do, uh, the prices are still kind of expensive. And especially if you <laughs> want to go out and buy a physical copy of this book, and that's not on sale, it's 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 a pretty pricey book. But it is, yeah. again, a lot of fun, a lot of Western stuff. And again, the other the other thing I really enjoy is it's one of these books that isn't afraid to just really throw everything against the wall. Like the last volume I read included mummies. It included morally ambiguous uh those western carnival sideshows you know where they roll into town and they've got like the mummified person or the you know creepy crawlies <laughs> yeah. and everything yeah um, yeah you know <laughs> it's 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 got everything so i would definitely recommend that book to for anyone who's interested uh the other book i want to briefly discuss is tmnt volume 11 uh, attack on technodrome uh this is not the most recent volume i'm just catching up and this, of course, is the Kevin Eastman 2012 IDW reboot of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, this volume features Corey, I think Corey Smith, on art, which is slightly unfortunate. I prefer Matea Santuluoco or Sophie Campbell, but you don't always get what you want. Uh, sometimes you find <laughs> you can get Corey Smith. Uh <laughs> Tragedy Strikes, this is probably, if you've ever heard any of the big announcements about this book within the last couple of years, the big 
you know, jaw-dropping, tear-sobbing revelation regarding what they chose to do in this book happens in this issue. I don't want to say much more. Um, just know that it might be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Trio now. We'll leave it at that. Whoa. I think Whoa. that's pretty bad enough. Whoa. Um, so, yeah. Uh, again, really enjoying this book. Uh, not unlike Sixth Gun. Here's another one that's just really a lot of fun. Not really dark. So fast. In, He's going to say this so fast, guys. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah. And again, just I it's it's just a lot of fun. And that's 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 what I'm enjoying with this book. So, yeah. Mhm. You're not going to talk about Shadow Roads? Oh, sure. Let me just briefly bring up Shadow Roads. Shadow Roads is <laughs> the free comic book that's day issue. That's what I thought issue. you were getting to. Yeah, sorry. Briefly. <laughs> yeah. Let me briefly say this about Shadow Roads. Uh it was a free comic book day issue this year released by Oni Press. It is written by Brian Hurt and Colin Bunn, the guys who do Sixth Gun. It takes place in the world of Sixth Gun after the events of it. I stupidly read it without having finished Sixth Gun, (laughs) but it didn't seem to reveal anything shocking to me, so I had a lot of fun with it, and it doesn't seem to be spoilery. So if you get a chance, check it out. It's a genuine, real first issue. It's not a sampler packet like a lot of these FCBD books are. Gotcha. Well, Paul, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? I've been I've been great because I've been reading a lot of comics. I'm really making an effort to uh, thanks to the Grand Rapids Public Library and the Hoopla app. I've just been plowing through a bunch of comics. Awesome. Um, specifically, late '80s Superman comics. And here's the thing: they're not very good, but I can't stop reading them. You know, it's just like <laughs> it's like junk food. And just before I go to bed each day, I'm just like reading issue after issue of like John Byrne Superman. I'm like, yeah, this isn't good, but here's another issue. Here's another volume for free. You know, from the library. So right, right. Um, so I read Superman: uh, The Man of Steel volumes one and two. I'm about halfway through volume three right now, actually. Uh, so this, the reason I wanted to read this stuff and maybe talk about it briefly is that this is the the first volume of this is the six issue miniseries that John Byrne did in 1986 to reboot Superman. You know, after the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Is this the book that's widely regarded as being the first instance of a variant cover? I think you're maybe i don't know i here's the thing i remember having this as a kid but i didn't have the original issues i had they reprinted it on like a smaller scale so they're slightly smaller than a normal comic and they came with like digest form yeah but they were still individual issues and each issue came with a cassette tape that you could listen to while you read the comic (laughs) what is this what is this i also had because i'm old this is why this one and i also I also had the uh, the same version of um, Batman, The Untold Legend of the Batman, which is still my favorite Batman story, but that's why I love it so much, because I read it so much when I was a kid, and listened to it. I wish I still had the tapes. They're gone to history, but I'm sure I could find on YouTube, somebody probably dubbed them somewhere. Any listener out there who can find the original <laughs> cassette tapes, DM me on Twitter. I will make sure that they get into Paul's hands. Yes. So it's, what's funny, though, because I remember reading this stuff as a kid, and revisiting it was strange. I... I'm beginning to wonder if I didn't have all six issues of the Man of Steel miniseries because there was stuff in that that I didn't remember. There was stuff that was like vividly burned into my brain, but stuff that I don't remember at all. But I wanted to read this again because we're coming up on Brian Michael Bendis doing his six issue Batman, I'm sorry, Superman reboot here for DC. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very so it's alarming how similar it is because John Byrne was a guy who was working for Marvel forever came to DC, was given a six-issue miniseries to reboot Superman, called The Man of Steel, 
It's exactly the same thing that they're doing with Brian Michael Bendis. So um, it's fun so to revisit you, that. You think this is going to be atrocious as well? or <laughs> I have slightly more hope. I mean, I did read the the stuff in the DC Universe number zero that came mm-hmm. out. And then the little blurb that Brian, the little segment that Brian Michael Bendis did in the um, uh, Action Comics 1000. That mm-hmm. one I didn't like so much because I'm not a fan of Jim Lee's artwork. The stuff in DC Universe number zero... I like slightly more because it was more about Clark Kent. And I think Brian right. Michael Bendis writes a very good Clark Kent. And yeah. it was drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, who if you're going to get anybody to draw Superman, that's the guy to do it in my book. But Gotcha. So late 80s Superman comics, it like I said, it's comic book version of junk food. It's not good for you and it's not the best stuff, but it, you can go through a lot of it pretty quickly. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, it sounds like the sort of book I read like right before I go to bed. Like there are certain books that when I'm just getting ready to go to sleep, it's like there are certain things I'm not going to read at this point. And then it's like I just need to turn off my brain. So that's exactly what it is, especially the John Byrne issues, because the John Byrne stuff, they're all like mostly one and done stories, which is kind of strange for that era. And they especially very for a much miniseries. Well, the the first volume is a miniseries. The other okay. volumes follow, you know, him doing... He was writing Superman and action comics and drawing both those. What? Then he had Adventures of Superman that was Marv Wolfman and Jerry Ordway doing that series. That's all in these volumes. Um, the John Byrne stuff is like one and done issues, and they're very much homages to like Silver Age Superman stories, which gotcha. is very strange. Anyway, um. So that's a very strange recommendation for a book that I think isn't that good, but... <laughs> <laughs> if you can get it I, for free, exactly. or use your yeah. library. Makes everything better. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about that I actually did enjoy quite a bit is the first two issues of Barrier. It's a miniseries by Brian K. Vaughn, mm-hmm. art by Marcos Martin, um, and it says, with Munsta Vicente. There's no credit, so I don't know what uh, he's doing on the book. I think he's doing colors, maybe, but... Uh, this was originally published digitally, much like the Brian K. Vaughan and Marcos Martin Private Eye book that mm-hmm. they did a few years ago. Hmm. But Image is republishing it as five standalone issues with like sort of nice paper stock and a nice card stock cover and all that sort of collectible versions. And what's interesting is a lot like Private Eye, it's, it's published in landscape format instead of uh, portrait format. So yeah. you have to turn the issue sideways to read it. Uh, which isn't a big deal, but I think that lends itself better to being read digitally on like a tablet or a computer screen anyway. Yeah, yeah. And this book, it's I don't want to I don't want to get too much into the story because I think it's one thing you could just have to experience. The short story is that it involves a uh, a woman who owns a ranch in Texas on the border. Um, she finds something that uh, she finds like the decapitated head of a, of a, one of her horses, and she assumes it's one of the drug cartels in Mexico sending a signal. Um, at the same time, you're following a an undocumented immigrant breaking into the United States. He ends up on her ranch, and then um, aliens abduct both of them together. Uh, what so a natural kind of illusion. Yeah. Like, yeah um, I think this was Image's FCBD book this year, wasn't it? Yes. Correct. Issue yeah, number one. Issue one was free comic books. That's how I got that, and I decided to pick up issue two. It's a nice story uh, so far. I like that it is sort of that different format because it makes your brain work definitely when you're reading it. There's a lot of dialogue that's in Spanish that's not translated, which I think actually fits the story since the characters are confused about their situation. So you're kind of confused as a reader if you don't read Spanish. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a lovely book. I think Marcos Martinez is an incredible artist and he works really well with Brian K. Vaughn. So um, I'm sorry I gave away the end of the first issue, but uh, (laughs) I think it's still an interesting reading experience on top of that, just visually 
and uh, it's worthwhile picking up. I, again, I'd say maybe better suited for a digital reading if you don't want to pick up the individual issues, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a really lovely book, and I'm excited to read, read the next uh, three issues of it. Cool. That's I I've been I've been kind of avoiding this book. Maybe I feel like I need to just go get it. I need to go to, go to <laughs> Panel Syndicate and buy the digital copies and just call yeah, it good. Exactly. I'll maybe I'll do that after the show. But let's see. For me, I I only I read a bunch of books, but I really only want to talk about one. Uh, this is the Wild Storm Michael Cray number seven. This is the mini series, the twelve issue series that's running alongside the Wild Storm, um, which is the book that's written by Warren Ellis. And this issue is actually written by Brian Edward Hill with pencils by Stephen N. Harris, uh, inks by Dexter Vines, and colored by Ross A. Campbell and Dearbala Kelly. Uh, this this book has been it fucking insane, like the Wild Storm Michael Cray. Uh, slight spoilers, but long story short, Michael Cray is just killing all of the DC Universe superheroes. Um, because they're crazy people in the universe of the Wildstorm. Like, they are people who are potentially going to damage the Earth, and so Michael Cray is basically taking them out one by one. Um, The last arc ended with him fighting Aquaman, and I really won't tell you what happened because it was a very interesting end. Based Um, on what you just said, I think I have an idea of what happened. Well, and (laughs) things didn't end the way that I think Michael Cray wanted them to. I will say that. Issue number six, of course, also ends with this preview for number seven, which is what I just read, which is Michael Cray versus John Constantine. Now, the story that's in the book and the way that John Constantine acts as a character is he's kind of like a Lex Luthor meets John Constantine character in that he is communicating with these evil demons in order to create technology for the world. And so, like, for instance, he creates a machine that allows you to take the blood of someone and create unlimited energy like through magic uh and that's a really interesting idea but uh yeah so john john constantine meeting michael cray is a really like like interesting uh like meetup because john's basically saying do you really want to kill me i'm not actually doing anything bad per se i'm actually trying to help the world and michael cray's biggest thing is that he's on this job to perform these missions to hunt down all of these superhumans but he really doesn't know to what end. He just knows that he's got a job with the company that he's been working for forever, and he's in control of it. But he's also trying to figure out things about himself because he may or may not have superpowers. It's it's a really, really interesting story, and the constant battle of Michael Cray in his head against himself is really great, especially when he's met up with characters like John Constantine. And I think the way that Brian Edward Hill has written this book with, like, I think subtle, some supervision from Warren Ellis to tie it back to the Wildstorm series has been really, really cool to watch, like, how all the pieces kind of churn together. And then when you finally see all the gears, like, get to the right spot, you can see directly through the machine and it kind of makes sense. And then the gears continue to spin. Hmm. Um you get a handful of moments in Mike in in the Michael Cray series and in the Wildstorm series if you're reading them side by side. So, I'm I'm super excited to see where this book goes. And issue number seven was fucking awesome. I'm really looking forward to number eight. So, Mike, as as someone who has never read a single Wildstorm related comic, what what exactly is the Wildstorm? Like, so I'm curious. I, like, so if I'm understanding, there's a main series, and then this is a spin-off Well, series. Paul, good thing is we have an extra 45 minutes, so let's try to okay, break great. this down for you. <laughs> yeah. All I know... Well, I, I can yeah. tell you, like, I never read a Wildstorm book before I started this series. Okay. Right? Okay. Before I started The Wildstorm, which is a big, convoluted story about two major government shadow company organizations that are kind of opposed, but also in a neutral, like, stalemate. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both trying to 
figure things out about each other. Meanwhile, all of these super meta humans are kind of showing up, and they're not like your Supermans and your Batmans and so on. They're characters from like the original Wildstorm run, gotcha. and so as like this one setting, like one motion happens where this guy, this one character whose name I can't remember, he's like the head of a corporation, like the, an actual forward-facing corporation, um, kind of like a Steve Jobs-like character. The whole he's supposed guy. to get assassinated. Yeah, he's supposed to get assassinated, but then this woman comes out of nowhere, flies out of the from the ground to save him, and he doesn't die. Hmm. And mm-hmm. as the plot unfolds and you start to tear apart what that actually means, who all the people are that are involved, you meet all these extra other characters, people that I've seen pictures of in the past, but I actually are now showing up in this book. I, I don't know the original Wildstorm series, right. but seeing them show up, I'm kind of like, oh, I guess I've seen that character before, okay. um, but I don't know to what end. And so basically, I'm th- I think you can kind of throw away all those old books and start fresh from this series. Okay, and sure. You got it. You basically, it's a book that you have to sit down, and it's the only book you read that night because yeah. there's so much packed into it. And I honestly okay. think that reading it in trade would help, but then you'd need to un like you'd need to decompress for four days afterwards. Um, <laughs> you cannot read very, this book very month heavy to month. Book. You literally cannot. Except I, huh. I do it every month, Nick, and it's hard. How? Okay, <laughs> how it's I I usually go back and reread the previous issue. Yeah, that's what I, I thought. Michael Cray, on the other on the other hand, is a character that book basically you can read month to month because it's a very straightforward action comic. Um, okay. But if you're paying attention and reading both books side by side, you see the little subtle references back to a handful of things that work. Um, mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say that you could read them independently. I think you need Michael. You need to read Wildstorm in order to get Michael Cray. I don't think you need to read Michael Cray in order to get Wildstorm, but it mm-hmm. helps. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's say, Mike. You me. said you've never read any of this stuff before, but you read Stormwatch, right? I didn't. No, I read. Oh. I read Planetary. Totally different thing. Oh. Right. Okay. Yeah. We we could do a whole episode on the Wildstorm <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't want to try to get into it anymore. Otherwise, other than saying, if you want to do Wildstorm, you want to read these books. Pick up the Wildstorm by Warren Ellis, and also read the Wildstorm Michael Cray. Once you get to like issue. Five of the Wildstorm because his story okay. starts to diverge from there um, and he gets his own book. So anyways, let's move on. Let's talk about what books we're excited for this upcoming week. Books are released on May 16, 2018. What are you guys excited for? I'm going to kick it right back to you, Paul. Well, I am excited for a, a new OGN that's coming out by Michael Kupperman. It's called All the Answers. Michael Kupperman, you might recognize the name from writing his book, uh, Tales Designed to Thrizzle. If that doesn't ring a bell, you've probably seen his work somewhere. He does a lot of um, work for like the New Yorker or New York, you know, um, New York Times, uh, sort of satirical political cartoons. Sometimes they're just really absurd. You've probably seen his stuff around, but he, he collects a lot of short one or two page little stories and publishes them as the book Tales Designed to Thrizzle. He's publishing a new book called All the Answers, which isn't a satirical Uh, type book. It's actually a very serious book about his father, who was uh, somewhat of a celebrity in the 40s and 50s, uh, because he appeared on a game show called Quiz Kids, which is apparently this big nationally known radio and television quiz show. And Michael Kupperman's father was on it and was kind of like a national celebrity. And this book is about how his father couldn't deal with that when he was younger. And it explores the the birth of television as a medium, the the birth of celebrity culture as it relates to television, and the anti-Semitism that his father faced because of that, and 
I guess Michael, the whole idea of the book came from Michael Kupperman trying to talk to his dad about it. His father started suffering dementia and seemed to really welcome the fact that he was losing those painful memories. So it's a really sort of serious book about, you know, celebrity culture, uh, anti-Semitism, politics, and how that can negatively affect people, especially celebrity culture, told through a lens of, uh, you know, someone's father and son relationship. So I'm pretty excited about this book. I've always liked Kupperman's work, but a lot of it is, like I've said, very sort of silly, absurd, satirical. So I'm curious to see him tackle like a really like serious adult uh, type issue or, or uh, topic with this book that's going to be more sort of autobiographical in nature. That's whoa! You sold me. <laughs> Holy shit, dude! Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I saw he's been published. He's been uh, promoting the book on Twitter, and because um, I follow Michael Kupperman on Twitter, and I saw this mm-hmm. book. I was like, boy, this sounds fascinating, and I've been waiting for it to come out for a while. It's being published by Gallery Thirteen. It comes out, I think, Tuesday, since it's a real book, quote unquote. You know, an OGN. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm sure your local comic shop might have a copy. Um, I'm really excited about this. I can't wait to tear into it because it just feels. Uh, like a really personal story. And I, I've, we've talked about it on the show before. I really like comics that are autobiographical or biographical in nature. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you've fucking hooked me, Paul. Like, <laughs> I blame you. You got okay. me to read that Life of Andre the Giant. And I was like, that's it. This is my yeah. new favorite thing. <laughs> Sorry. No, that do not apologize. <laughs> okay. It has made gotcha. my life so much better. Um, no, that sounds fantastic. Uh, Nick, what are you excited for this week? Well, I mean, after we've talked about how much we like comics to be fun and enjoy them, and then Paul rolls out the heavy stuff, and I mean, like, the real <laughs> heavy stuff, Jesus. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I suppose we might as well at least keep that tone, right? So, for me, it's Gideon Falls number three. This is from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, drawn by Andrea Sorrentino, uh, colors by Dave Stewart. And while it's not the only criteria for a book's quality, uh, the sheer speed at which I fly through the pages is hard to ignore, and considering I absolutely tore through the follow-up issue, and and the first issue for that matter, of this book, I'm really, really excited for number three. For those who aren't privy to the basic core kernels of this story, you've got this guy called Norton. He lives in the city. I don't think we know what city, and he's obsessed with rummaging around through the trash. He picks it up. He brings it home. He labels it. He puts it in a jar, and it goes on his wall. Understandably, this is um, not exactly healthy behavior. He's seeing a therapist (laughs) for it who has threatened to put him back in the hospital because he does not seem to be improving. At the same time, we have this priest... Um, who's recently uh, been transferred to the very uh, namesake of this book, Gideon Falls, and weird shit's going on there. So, yeah, when we last left off, Norton was collecting those things. He's trying to improve, uh, but he actually found out in number two that someone showed up and ransacked his whole collection. Like, went, went, got into his, broke into his place, stole Don't his shit. Don't spoil the book, man. Yeah. Don't spoil <laughs> yeah. the book. I so, haven't read anyway, it So, anyway, he's not on the road to improvement anymore, so three should be real interesting. Mm-hmm. And, of course, what was real funny is that the priest is now trying to convince the cops uh, that, oh, that's right, last night, the priest that came before me showed up in my room, P.S., he's supposed to be dead, and he guided me into a cornfield where I found the assistant, I think, rector to the church dead in the cornfield. I was the last person to see her, but I didn't kill her. And then, oh, I also happened to see a black barn behind the cornfield, which is now not there. So as you can imagine, the cops aren't really buying any of it. 
This book is really, really engaging. It's super dark. I love the art. I really like that Sorrentino is really willing to play with different panel orientations uh, and different panel structures, but he's not going overboard with it. It's not like you're having to fucking rotate the book every, you know, every <laughs> few seconds just because he wants to really go zany. It sure, it shows sure. up in the appropriate points. It's not overused. For those looking for something riveting, something dark that's just really full of mystery and beautiful art, and you have no idea where this book is going, the only consistency seems to be that they're constantly taking characters that seem to be rationally minded, well um, sound individuals, and and showing them the barn to sort of show you that like disbelievers or rational people seem to be spotting this too, and it's not just that Norton guy who remains convinced that he's been finding pieces of the Black Barn all around his neighborhood. So, if this if, is if, if, this is it, terrifying, it, by the yeah, way, yeah, I mean, if, if, if your core question is where is this going, like that's my question too, and that's why yeah. <laughs> it's so engaging. Is it like wh- where is this headed? Like where is this headed towards? And it really does feel very Twin Peaks, which if you know anything about Jeff Lemire, that might be his favorite thing. So. It, it it all adds up. Interesting. Ho- well, hopefully. Hmm. We'll see. I've decided to trade weight this book because it's too much for me. I can't I can't deal with that type that amount of tension in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, well, That's fair. For me this week, I am uh I'm big old fanboy and I picked Batman forty seven because I'm really excited about this book because I think I hate Booster Gold. <laughs> and um I feel like I'm alienating a lot of people who listen to this show and maybe I, I doubt on this it. show by saying that. Uh, Booster Gold is the focus of this current Batman arc, and I, while I did like the ending to Batman 46, I did not like the buildup at all. <laughs> this feels like in 46 issues, for some, it's, Tom King nailed it out of the park for 46 issues, and then four, 45 issues, I should say. And then issue 46, I was like slogging through it. I like had to force myself to get to the end I did not. I didn't really care for how Booster Gold was written, and it was like he's the focal character of the book, and I for reasons that I won't really get into. Um, but I feel like I also was like really pampered, like really, really <laughs> spoiled by Michael Janin's art for so long, and then we switched over to Tony S. Daniel, and it doesn't feel right for this book in comparison. Like I think people like Tony S. Daniel's art. I think that he's done Ooh. good Batman work in the past. Hey, listen, Nick. <laughs> I don't know, but I know that he's a big name, and. He's but, not the problem. He's not the problem with these issues. That's all I'll say for now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really bizarre. I did not like issue forty six. I'm gonna keep reading Batman because I have so much faith in Tom King. I might like n- name him Godfather to a future son of mine. Like that's how much <laughs> I trust the guy. But it's it's really interesting for forty six, forty five issues. I love this book, and on forty six, I finally felt like blah about it. So I want to see the, either how this book gets out of this hole. <laughs> For me, at least, right? <laughs> or if it gets worse and I drop the Batman book that I've been reading for almost a year. So, well, I mean, we'll yeah. see. And Mike, I got to tell you, I'm in the same boat because I hated issue 46. I didn't, yeah. wasn't crazy about issue 45 either. And Guys, it wasn't I'm the only Tony, up to the Wonder Woman stuff. Okay. All well, we're, say that, I'm not yeah, saying yeah. spoil it. I'm just revealing the fact that I'm I'm I'm, I feel I'm, like we, I'm a bit behind. We sufficiently have avoided spoilers so far. I just forty six about the, the end issue of the, on the whole wedding arc stuff. Is that no no no? Oh, okay, yeah, then I guess wow. will be the yeah. Issue fifty is going to be the wedding, as far as I know. But just avoiding spoilers, I guess. 
I'll just say to you, Mike, that this version of Booster Gold does not feel like any other version of Booster Gold I've ever read. I think Tom King is making a big mistake in this and um, because Booster Gold is acting in ways that only benefit the plot. Like, there's Booster Gold. Is he not cocky and annoying and goofy and stupid? Oh, he's that. He's that. But the problem is he's completely inept in a way that he's never been in any other thing I've ever read. He's inept only to justify the end of the issue 46. Yes. And it's like that character would never act the way. No other character, no human being would ever act that way. He's only acting that way to make the end happen. Yeah. And so yeah, you don't hate Booster Gold. You hate this <laughs> this terrible version of Booster Gold that somehow okay. is existing in this comic. So he that's was all pretty inept in De Mateus's Justice League International. But you're but saying this a, is but worse. But it wasn't. Yeah, it's not. He's yeah. I guess you just have to read it. He's just okay, so mind bogglingly just oblivious to what he's doing. Yeah, and I don't think I think that's different from being annoying, which Booster Gold always has been. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's it's very strange. Yeah, I did I did not care for these past two issues, but I'm still going to read it because uh, it's a Batman comic. I was just distressed <laughs> yeah. when I went to pick up this issue, and I didn't like the cover, and I said, "What's the variant cover?" And that was also drawn by Tony S. Daniel. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Nick. <sighs> I mean, this is my first real time, or first time really reading Booster Gold, so like okay. I got a bad impression. So if Definitely. I guess if people out there want to change my mind, send over your Booster Gold <laughs> recommendations. <laughs> okay. He was fun in All Star Western. Pick that shit up. That was hilarious. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, that's... I believe you. Fair enough. Before we start this Q&A episode, I want to remind you again to go to ircbpodcast.com slash zine, download a copy of our cool zine that has all sorts of awesome stuff in it, and it's very cool exclamation points, 90s <laughs> cool jazz, everyone's dancing behind in front of a really bad green screen excitement. That's how we're feeling about this zine. It's so awesome. Uh, I really, really hope you go read it. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you consume it. And if you want, I think we're going to offer some print editions on our website at ircbpodcast.com. Um, slash merch or merch.ircb your store whatever the website is store.ircbpodcast.com you can buy a copy of this zine if you like it so go check it out that's that's a whole other thing but let's get into some Q&A episodes we got a bunch of questions from people specifically we got a bunch of questions from Danny and we had some other questions from people <laughs> I want to thank Danny for being such a fantastic dude you can see his art in our zine but let's start with one of his questions I'm here with Paul and Nick again after today's episode about the pull list, which was the episode that Nick and Paul actually were on, um, mm-hmm. he came up with two questions. One, does anyone have more than one shop that they pull from? And if so, why? So we'll start there and we'll answer those questions. So do you guys <laughs> pull from more than one shop? Do you guys like shop around? Do you, you're cheating on one shop with another shop? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't have the anonymity to admit that, I guess, on this show. But no, um, <laughs> I don't have two separate pull lists, but I'm sort of, you know, blessed living in the wonderful city of Grand Rapids where I have a couple really terrific comic book shops that are easy for me to get to. I have my local shop here that's right down the road for me. I've had a pull list from with them for almost 10 years now. Oh, but man. But if, if there's anything that I don't have them pull for me or I forget, there's a couple other stores in town that I know I can go to and find it usually. So yeah. that's kind of how I do it, which might be even more 
which might be more of a deceit <laughs> than having two separate polis in a way. <laughs> I'm just curious what the benefit of having separate polls at different stores would be. Maybe there's a store that specializes uh, the in a certain question, thing. Yeah, you know. Well, there. I mean, you know that there. You know, Grand Rapids, like you said, is very blessed to have like a couple of comic book shops there, and they they do a really good job, I think, of stocking not just the big two, but like as many different publishers as people pull from. Or if a book's popular, they'll pull it even if it's from like a like a small publisher. Mm-hmm. I think there are places out there, and I know we've heard it from folks that are on the show that only stock the big two. Period. That's all that right. they they stock, and they're like. Fuck you, man. You don't get anything else. Uh, maybe if you get a pull list from them, they might pull in other things because they can order like one copy of Gideon Falls number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, but that, but it's true though. There are shops that only stock the big two. I mean, I think there used to be one of those shops in Grand Rapids that closed. I, I the one down on Twenty Eighth yeah. Street, but uh, uh, apparition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think they were real heavy on the big two, and they, they didn't were. really stock anything else. Definitely. Um, so, I mean, those types of shops exist, so that might be the reason why. That'd be my answer. But, yeah. Nick, do you do you do this as well? Well, as as I think some of our listeners know, uh, my pull is also at the same shop as Paul's. And <laughs> because I'm shopping in the same geographical area as Paul, I take advantage of the same things. Uh, and so, like Paul, I, I don't have a second pull but occasionally, if if I'm looking for a different variant, or as you guys were getting at earlier, um, maybe you have a secondary shop that simply does a lot more business, and maybe that's not the one that's closest to you. You just visit less frequently, and and if if mm-hmm. if it does more business, then it has more, it can more easily access crazy variant covers or whatever stupid shit comes in with the with having a high volume shop. Um, yeah. But yeah, for me, there there is another shop that I go to if, like I said, if I'm looking for a different variant, or if I forgot a comic, or if, if heaven forbid, my shop um, forgot to order something for me, or maybe mm-hmm. grabbed the wrong cover, and, and I, I do want to clarify, my, my shop is really good at, if those sort of mistakes happen, doing the best that they can to correct them. But occasionally, mm-hmm. depending upon what the book is, you might find yourself in a bit of a, a real bind uh, where your shop just can't order another one. Maybe it was a really, really limited print run or something like that. And so in those situations, being able to just, you know, go across town 15, 20 minutes and and get your hands on one, uh, it's, it's pretty helpful. So yeah, uh, don't have two poles, but do have sort of a backup shop for when I make a mistake or my shop, you know, makes a bit of a mistake or something uh, just to cover my butt. So, well, and then and Mike, you're in a position where you probably don't really have to worry about having a pole since there's so you many shops. You have to have a pole. Well yeah, stocked. exactly. Here's the thing, guys. I have six different pull lists. Six <laughs> different shops. No, 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 one no. book on each list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. So it's it's funny because I I primarily shop at Midtown Comics only because it's down the street from my office right Right. um i you know and and that's kind of like shopping at walmart when there's like a local grocery store down the street but in in a lot of ways like it's it's really great because they they get everything but in order to have a pull list with them you have to pull at least 10 books Um, so i keep it i keep that list updated and i drop things and add things and luckily i pull a bunch of books that have like time off so i'm not like pulling in 10 books every month i'm pulling in like four or five books every month and then those ones will switch off and the other ones will switch on but nonetheless like and they're really good about it and they know me they know you know 
every like I've been going there for three years, so like even if that number dropped below ten, I'm sure they'd be fine because they know that I'm going to consistently coming in and spending money on top of my pull list, which is what I usually do. <laughs> I mean, I, I ideally I I would probably I don't really have multiple pull lists. I I I'm really curious to see if like if Danny does like he asked us this question. I'm wondering yeah. if he's shopping at multiple shops to do it, but um he says that he pull he has two shops near him, so he does i guess i mean, i don't know he humble bragged about this that was what his question said <laughs> um but i mean i i could see that if you wanted to say support multiple shops because maybe one's your gaming and comic shop and one's your mm-hmm. just comic mm-hmm. shop and you wanted to support yeah. both by having like a five issues pulled at one and five at the other i think if i could do that i would totally do it makes sense um, yeah. because there's so I, many i guess like, we're going to turn this question back on danny <laughs> yeah <laughs> why so do danny, you have two holes <laughs> And it may be something like that. I I think that that would be really cool if I had the physical space in my apartment to hold all the books that I'd like to pull um, physically. Um, unfortunately, I don't. So it's like I have to really pick the shop. But I do shop at other shops when I'm near them. Like if I'm near Forbidden Planet, I'll head down there. If I'm near St. Mark's, I'll head to St. Mark's. Um, like there's a shop that's over in Flatbush that I just went to for free comic book day. Really cool shop. I wish that I could go there more regularly. Like if it was closer to my apartment, I would probably go there more often. Um, but that and that's like the biggest problem with New York, of course, is just getting places, which is why I shop at Midtown in the first <laughs> place, and yada yada yada. So yeah, um, yeah, I don't I don't do that. But I think that's a really interesting question. And if anybody out there does this, please let us know. I'd really really like to hear that story. Danny's other question was he he was at his local comic book club that night. They read Madame Mirage, which I've never read that, but I've heard good things. He wanted to know how often do you bag and board if you collect floppies or organize your books? Do you procrastinate like me and do hundreds at once or weekly have its process, oh etc.? Um, I I have a whole th- weird system about this, but I want to hear from <laughs> you guys first. Wow. Well, this is this is timely for me because I'm in the midst of cataloging and reorganizing all my comics as we're oh, recording. okay well not as we're recording but at the same weekend yeah um, i'm going through all my long boxes i've found an app on my phone where i can just scan the barcode and it'll just generate a catalog of everything i have and i'm also like just pulling out stuff to sell because i've never really sold off a lot of my collection i've okay. sold off bits and pieces but this is the first time in you know, like at least six years i've gone through and tried to like pull stuff out specifically to sell uh gotcha. long overdue which is interesting because much like Danny it sounds like um, um, I don't know his question doesn't suggest that he does yeah it does procrastinate like me much like Danny I wait long long uh, stretches of time before I start bagging and boarding anything um, and for filing it away mainly because I've run out of space which is why I'm going through my long boxes and pulling stuff out right once you have the space to kind of file stuff away it's a lot easier to do that so but it's easy to fall in that habit of even letting stuff pile up to read so I'm trying to break my habits but they're really hard to break gotcha what about you Nick I know you've I think we've covered on this show you there is some method behind the madness in life that you live with your books but <laughs> there's a um, faint as always I always want to hear it yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a faint amount. Um, so let's start with the organizing my books. Uh, well, Danny, they've they've never been organized. They get dropped into short boxes as I fill them, 
which turns into a real fun mental uh, exercise when it comes to me trying to <laughs> find a book again because I have to look up when it came out and then sort of guess like, okay, the last box was maybe like three months, so I need to go back four boxes and maybe it's someone in there. Needs to buy, someone Except needs to buy you one of those like flag things so you can write like the date so that you can be like, release yeah. date, you know, 5-29-2017, that you can put it in there and you can have all your books in the next one and so on and so forth. There may be month by month, like May, June, July... Um, and so on. Yeah, and, and, and my boxes aren't marked either. They're all just blank and white. So it's <laughs> another mental exercise of me noting where the boxes are in my room and trying to remember in which order they showed up in their respective places and then trying to remember <laughs> if I'd moved them since I put them into those places. Oh, uh, man. Uh, and some of them are stacked pretty high on shelves so it turns into a you know take three of them off and then um i'm just never gonna read my books again danny i think that's probably the best way of putting it um comiXology has made a lot of money off of me uh, refusing to address the problems with my current system (laughs) they have literally probably made 33 to 40 percent of my comiXology money just off of me looking at that mess and saying not today (laughs) (laughs) oh man see it's it's funny because like i i totally understand that sometimes it's just like do i want to look up all those issues of sex criminals or are they just available on comiXology for a buck each Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, as for the bagging and boarding, I'm I'm a little bit more rigorous when it comes to this. I don't understand anybody who, I mean, when I haven't read things, yes, they pile up, they sit in their bag from the store, and they get stacked on other bags. Whatever, that's fine. But when I actually read them, the moment I'm done reading the book, I have a pile of bags and I have a pile of boards, and I've got my tape. And the moment I finish reading the book, it gets sealed up and it goes in and it goes on a pile. So that part of things, Do you, I don't really understand people who don't automatically bag and board the moment they're done. Uh, sorry, Paul. I know that yeah. you don't. <laughs> anyway, I know that ahead. he's offending you. Yeah, Mike, you were saying? Well, I was just going to ask, do you double tape or do you single tape your bags? Single tape? Who's single tape? I'm not a monster. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> Whoa. Two pieces of tape. It's got to be 3M tape. You you can't go cheap with the tape, folks. <laughs> like, we've all bought really old comics, and yeah. you buy them, and the tape is gooey, or when you try to remove it, the tape looks fine, and then you go to remove the tape to read the book, and the tape just sort of turns into this goo. Like, don't go cheap on the tape. <laughs> Yeah, I don't get paid by 3M. We should get paid by 3M. They've got enough money. We could get a sponsorship there. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Double tape, one on each side to, I don't know, prevent the air from getting in. This has been Science with me, Nick White. I'm your host. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, I know that I I know that you were elaborate about it. I just didn't realize you were a double tape kind of guy. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> I'm off the I mean, show I, now, guys. I'll see you later. Bye. I follow... I follow the similar methodology as Nick where like a book doesn't get read without being boarded or bagged and boarded. So like my books will sit and then like immediately, like really I actually let them sit around in the bags and boards because I don't like having plain floppies out. Like there's too much dust and cat hair in my apartment for me to feel comfortable with the books sitting out covered in dust. And so I usually like I'll get the books from my comic book shop. Maybe they'll sit in their bag for like a week or two if I'm not reading them immediately. And then as soon as I take them out, I bag and board them. If I don't read them all, they like sit in a pile in their bags and boards. But like everything's bagged and boarded. 
just because I, I don't know, like it's an old habit. Like, I, I mean, as far as the sorting goes, like when I, I used to do is I had these long boxes and they were all alphabetical and I would, every single time I had like a stack of like a hundred books, I'd be like, all right, we got to file these. You have to take out every single book. So you sort them all before oh you God. put them in the boxes oh and then God. you have to figure out where they go and you open up each box and okay, this one started with Amazing Spider-Man, went all the way through the letter D or something, you know, and then I have to figure out where they go, pull books out of that box to go into the next box. And then I have to pull books out of the next box to put the box that I put the books I pulled out of the previous box to put those in. It was a fucking problem. And it was like, all right, <laughs> do I have three hours tonight to do this, to put 20 books away? Um, and so it, I, I gave up and I kind of take Nick's approach of, um, you know, just putting the books as I get just them. Chaos. Mind you, just chaos. I'm not, it is chaos. I, mind you, I'm not buying as many books, physical books, as I used to. So it's like I've in the last three years, I've only filled up a short box and a half. Like I, I'm literally not buying that. I, I buy more graphic novels and stuff than I did before, um, which is a whole different problem as far as bookshelf space go. <laughs> <laughs> my bookshelf, like you can see that every single shelf in my bookshelf is like bending under the weight of the number of books that I have in there. Yes, <laughs> it's, yes, it's a real problem. problem. Yes, um, yes. But that's a whole other thing. And the, or, the organization for that has no rhyme or reason. It's like books by size, then alphabetical when I can, question mark. Does, alphabet, yeah. does the alphabet even matter? What is the point of organizing anything in this chaos? <laughs> like that's kind of the thing that I go through. And I do procrastinate the hell out of this. That's the other part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we've talked about it on the show before, but you have to remind me, do you, either one of you, when you're organizing your long boxes, are they just alphabetical or do you by publisher? Nick, you're just chaos magic organizes your Yeah, books, it's bad, <laughs> man. Like you would think I would at least take the baby step of labeling these boxes, even within my chaos thing and being like, <laughs> this is roughly the last three months. <laughs> nope. It's just a... Uh, they all look the same. They all look the same. So, but it's perfect because I'm never going to let anyone else read them. So there's that problem. Uh, <laughs> right. And I have comicsology, so there's me yeah. reading them again. So right. I, I just um, I imagine you storing your comics like the final scene of um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where just like a giant <laughs> room of just you know boxes, and you're just putting yes. them away. To yeah. Just yeah. me shouting, again. "They belong in a museum!" <laughs> and they're like, "We'll give yeah, you ten dollars. Yeah. Quit bitching." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, mine is purely alphabetized. For the books that okay. I have organized, they are completely alphabetized always. Interesting. Um, I can't Why not stand. Why publisher? That's so much easier. Because uh, I don't know that like that irritates me to hell. I don't okay. know why. Like when I go into shops and like, oh, it's organized by publisher. I'm like, you fucking mean that I have to go to the second floor in order to what find do you do a with Doom Patrol when it switched me? from DC to from Vertigo to DC? Paul, what do you do about that? Do you do you still? Oh, yeah, Vertigo. Uh, Vertigo is well. Um, uh, no, because I only have the uh, Graham Morrison stuff, which was DC. It wasn't Vertigo yet. Gotcha. The Rachel Pollock uh, Doom Patrol, which I actually don't have any physical issues of, that's when it switched to Vertigo. So it's all mm. in my DC box. Yeah. So, okay, I was going yeah, makes. I mean, I'm try to trip I can it understand up. it. Oh, well. <laughs> I can understand it from like a like a mood box, like a mood sort of thing where you're just oh, like I want yeah. these are my DC books and these are my these are my independent books but but then it's like you say you've got four Archie books like where do those go do they just go into your this is all garbage box like <laughs> these are like all these independent a, authors and stuff yeah you just have your miscellaneous small publisher box I, it, yeah, it yeah. makes perfect sense a flawless system I don't know why you guys are, <laughs> are arguing yeah, I realize I'm not trying to call Archie books garbage I don't know why I said that um but yeah that's I mean anyway. that's 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 interesting I I think I mean it frustrates me to hell, but I can see why you would why you would like it. I guess if you're yeah. if you if you want to sort it, but like in that feeling. So that's interesting. So we had, we have a couple other questions from <laughs> folks. 
Uh, we'll move on before we like, start offending everybody and everything <laughs> on, on this episode. Uh, so somebody asked the question, you know, what does the current box... Or no, no, actually, let me start with this other one. Um, this is a question directly for Nick. So I wanted... There's a question for Paul and a question for Nick. I wanted to focus on those this week. How does Valiant speak to Nick so deeply and should I also care as much? So Nick... I mean, and this is a really good question because I don't think I've ever gotten this explanation out of you. You know, what's sure. the deal with Valiant? Why, what's got you so hooked in that you're just like, I'll kill anyone to get into a spot in this organization? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think like most people facing a question like this, it's probably going to be difficult to enunciate why I like what I like, but I'll try. Uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, hopefully by the end I'll realize that maybe I shouldn't like it anymore. You know, that would be just the, the goal, <laughs> the crowning achievement. At the end I'm like, oh, that's why I like it. That's terrible. I, I think what appealed to me in terms of Valiant at the beginning was that I, I picked up Valiant on, on just a pure whim. And what's hilarious, if you know even the slightest thing about Valiant, is that I picked up Unity, which is basically their superhero book, which is a combination of all these other characters from all these other books. And long story short, it was probably the worst Valiant book I could have picked up to try to introduce myself to Valiant <laughs> in that regard. Sure. So it was sure. a very weird decision. Um, but I knew so little to the point that I didn't even know that that was a bad call. Like, that was the level of ignorance I had. Um, wow. Jordan and I were just up at Barnes and we were looking at, you know, books we hadn't read or tried before. And I was just looking for something new. And that looked totally different. <clears throat> and I think that was Matt Kent and I want to say Doug Brathwaite. Maybe it was Carrie Nord. Anyway, so it was just this weird spur of the moment pick. And there's something interesting about being sort of thrust into a, a universe that is so utterly foreign to you. And, and unlike DC or Marvel, it's not something where even if you aren't even actively watching the movies or aren't actively reading the comics. It's so deeply embedded in pop culture that uh, you don't ever have to see a Spider-Man movie. You don't have to read a Spider-Man comic to probably have a pretty damn good idea of who Spider-Man is and, and what he does. And so with right. Valiant, it was this uh, just very bizarre experience of being thrown into this fully fleshed out universe that I had never heard anything about before. Uh, and, and I suppose that's sort of the unique appeal or, or somewhat unique appeal about Valiant is that uh, it is a comic book publisher that's attempting to create a universe-wide scenario, but doesn't have that deep history that DC or Marvel has. And, and with that in mind, especially if you only regard Valiant as the 2012 reboot to present, there's not that much material to go back on, comparatively speaking. And so I think what really appealed to me was if, if I wanted to learn more about these books, there was there was a history, you know, there was definitely history. I think I started reading in, in 14 or 15, so there was only like two or three years of, of, of work at that point up to then. And I think that really uh, stuck with me, this idea that there was more to read, but it wasn't an overwhelming amount. Uh, you know, if I wanted to do more of a deep dive or, or explore or discover more, um, it was there, but it wasn't just mm -hmm. like, oh my God, what order? How do I do this? Blah, 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 blah. And so I think that initially that just outward appeal of it um, was, was, was great, but then I actually started reading it and realizing um, how they like to interconnect things and how one book plays into another. And long before Ninjak had his own book, he was showing up in Exo Man of War. 
Mm-hmm. I like a lot of the company's policies, or at least their policies up until present. We'll see if they continued with this DMG takeover. I won't get into that right now. Um, but the whole just general disdain for having crossovers, for having things span across several books... Um, for hijacking books to do a crossover. Instead, frequently their crossovers are their own distinctive book, uh, and they don't rope in other books to them. Just their world building uh, is really quality, and and I really like their Moneyball sort of approach, where they're trying to bring in big names from that have worked for Marvel or have worked for DC, uh, but maybe they weren't being utilized in the right fashion. Maybe these artists weren't just being put on the right things. Uh, so you have a lot of people like Clayton Crane, um, and and you know Matt Kissy Kent, and, yeah, and and Jeff Lemire. You know you've got all these big names uh, that are somehow managing to get brought in, and it's the question: Well, you know, why is this small publisher doing it? And I think it's really um, just because they're finding ways to really uh, utilize these people properly. So hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that's probably. I, I think they just have a really good. Um, I think they just have a. I mean, like I said, for starters, just a really good cast, like a really good staff. Um, a lot of their policies are real sound in terms of how they do things. I don't know if that really touches on it. Yeah, no, I I think that's a, yeah. that's a great answer. I mean, every Valiant book that has either been thrust upon me by you or that yeah. I tried, um, I never felt like I was really missing anything, even for books that maybe had tiebacks. Like, even reading mm-hmm. Secret Weapons, having not read all of, like, Harbinger Wars or all of the Harbinger book, like, I knew what was going on immediately. And anything that I didn't know, they informed to me in a natural way that didn't feel like I had to read a wall of text in order to understand what was going on. Like, cause the books really focus really well on, on the characters. And I mean, even Rai is a, is a character, you know, they have tiebacks to other things like eternal warrior, I think. And, and it never felt like shoved in by any means. It all felt really, yeah. really natural. And if I had read all the eternal warrior stuff and I read all the Archer and Armstrong and all that jazz, like maybe I would have gotten it even more, but by no means did I feel like there was a missing chunk um, and I, I totally agree. Like they, they have a really good way to approach those types of stories and world building stories without making you feel like you have to read everything. Like if you only like Archer and Armstrong, just keep on reading Archer and Armstrong. You yeah. don't have to read anything else. Yeah, everything really just organically connects. And like, like you said, what I love is that for the reader who wants to read more, for the reader who wants to pick up more books. Uh, there's more you're going to discover, but for the person who literally only wants to read Quantum and Woody, uh, you're you're going to be fine, you know. And and yeah. and I love that their books are so tonally different that there is an offering for everybody. If you want a buddy comedy, there's Quantum and Woody. If you want a globe-trotting, century-spanning adventure, there's there's Archer and Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Their books are so different tonally, and yet they are always finding ways to interconnect them and to just i love how you have characters that bounce from one book into another book certain characters will sometimes rotate off um and they'll go from having a solo series and they'll just get bounced into a team book or they'll be sort of a side character in a different book so characters aren't really ever gone uh they just find themselves getting rolled into a different place and, and yeah. I like that books don't get too long in the tooth with Valiant as well. You won't find a Valiant run that really goes beyond, like, 30. I think XO got to, like, 40-something, and that was their biggest one ever. So Yeah. 
Interesting. So everyone should go out there and try a Valiant book. <laughs> They're definitely, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it is safe to say there's probably something for everybody to a certain extent. Um, I think Valiant's, ha- my, I think the one big complaint I've seen against Valiant is that the majority of their books feature male characters. Um, and with, with the, with like, and that's changing. I think that that's changing rapidly, but um, even still like that, that was the, one of the complaints I've seen, but it, it is, it's gotten better. And I never felt like it was necessarily like a, like even when there were like women characters in the books, like they were being treated poorly. I think every time uh, you know there were women in the books, they were as powerful, if not more powerful, than the male character or their male counterparts. But um, yeah, I think things are dramatically changing in that regard. But otherwise, I think Valiant, like you can find a really cool book in Valiant. Um, Paul, have you ever read any Valiant books? I have not. Um, okay, but I mean, the, the, it's interesting to hear that. For me, it seemed like because I knew that the original Valiant from the '90s, they're bringing back all the same titles, and it sounds like this newer, you know, iteration of Valiant is very much new reader friendly. Mm-hmm. And I think I listen to Nick talk about it, it feels like if you're reading it, there's almost like this sense of um, investment watching the universe be built from the ground up, more or less, as you've been reading it. And I can see that how that's like really appealing, especially for something mm-hmm. that finds legacy superhero books a little bit daunting because of that history. You see it sort of fresh in front of you. That seems appealing. And I think what's really interesting, and you got at this a little bit, and I'll just briefly say this uh, one last thing. Uh, In terms of the legacy books from the 90s and and being someone who has read a little, I think I've read probably like the first volume that they've been collecting of the legacy books of a lot of their series. (laughs) It's really interesting to see them slowly integrating a lot of the elements from the 90s books and they're really taking their time. And I think that's what's really interesting to me. They're slowly injecting yeah. these different things. Like Secret Weapons was a very popular thing in in um, in the original uh, 90s runs. But they took a good six years to get to that point in, in the rebooted universe. And it's mm-hmm. really... In- the other really fascinating thing is that a lot of these things are being reinterpreted. Sometimes with a, a good a good deal of um, just a real variety of how they're, I guess I would say they're being reinterpreted with a wide berth in terms of the freedom that they're given in terms of what they want to do with it. So uh, it's not just, Oh, here's this character. I've seen him before. He does this. He acts like this. Uh, They're like I said, sort of reinventing them for a new age. Yeah. Um, Well, I guess we're, we're kind of running short on time, but I do want to get to one more question. Um, this is a question directly for Paul. So, oh. what? How, this this is we'll we'll get to this and then we'll wrap up the show. But the question was, how does Paul reconcile his too cool for school music taste with his retro with his retro Superman Square DC fanboyism? Which I don't know. I don't think that was meant to be insulted. I hope I you think didn't it's take a compliment it as and a burn, and they've even, yeah. they've been applied at the yeah. exact same moment so as to not yes. draw attention to the other. Yeah, <laughs> they cancel each other out. So, Paul's cool, um, but Paul also sucks. What's the deal? <laughs> Paul's also a square. <laughs> no, so I guess yeah. I mean, I think that's a gen. That's a that's a that's a question. That's a good question. You know, it, like you, well, you yeah, do have like a yeah. big Superman fanboy feeling, um, but mm-hmm. you also are really cool. Well, how does that compute, well, man? I don't know how this. Uh, I re- earned this reputation of being cool. I don't know where that ever came from because <laughs> I don't remember ever having that reputation for the previous thirty-five years of my life. But. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, it's interesting because I, I, I saw this question uh, as a possible one to be asked, and I was thinking about this. I, I, 
I don't think that my musical tastes are really all that uh, impressively cool. They're impeccable, but they're not that impressively <laughs> cool. Um, sure. I, but I think a lot of the stuff I really listen to and the stuff I gravitate toward these days is a lot of uh, 70s punk and power pop. And I like a lot of bubblegum pop music. I have a lot of Monkees records. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I like that stuff because there's an earnestness to the music. As simple as pop music from the 60s and 70s is, there's a sort of like, there's an earnestness and a sort of uh, conviction to it that I, I really enjoy. It can be slightly tongue-in-cheek, but it's not super self-aware. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I like Silver Age DC stuff so much, is that it has that same sort of feel. Where Definitely. It is, those Superman stories, yeah, they're looking at them now, like, yeah, they're corny, and uh, they're sort of square, but there's an earnestness to them. And like, yeah, this is an important story. And I kind of like the, the lack of self-awareness, which I think is really prevalent in a lot of contemporary pop culture mm-hmm. and it's kind of refreshing to see stuff that is just we're just going to be positive and optimistic because that's what the way we are you know we're not going to gotcha. analyze ourselves too much and i think that's why i like that stuff so much also it's incredibly fun at the same time you know I, on top of it being something i can analyze that that way i was already talking about reading shitty superman comics nonstop. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. there's something appealing about that where it's just like I can just enjoy it for what it is as just sort of like, um, you know, uh, bubblegummy sort of popcorn, you know, junk food pop culture. Yeah. And I love that stuff. Yeah. So, I, I, I think I think that harkens back to the Superman episode that we did. And I think, you know, <laughs> the overall outcome came from was just like there is this overwhelming goodness that comes from like an earnestness like you said from Superman. Yeah. And I think that that totally matches up to what you just described in terms of your music taste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like, you know, I'm dipping my toes into prog rock. I'm trying to get more into that stuff. And I'm like, yeah. I want to understand it. And it, the same thing is like, what was, when I was younger, I thought, oh, that stuff doesn't sound like the Ramones. I'm never going to like it. You know, <laughs> yeah. Now I'm a little bit older. I can recognize this sort of, you know, the conviction and earnestness and, you know, the 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 intent of the artists in a way. And I think that's, as I'm trying to explore more different types of comics, I try to have that more open-minded approach. So finally, when I'm reaching my, you know, mid thirties, I'm finally becoming more open-minded, which doesn't always happen to some people, I guess. Yeah. I I think what Paul's trying to get at, because I also read hipster magazines issue for May of 2018, (laughs) uh, is, uh, I mean, look, I read the headline too: positivity and empathy. It's the new cynicism. Uh, And then below that beards are still in by the way. Um, So I think what Paul's getting at is being positive is, is the new, is the new edgy. It's the new thing. Uh, It's a new new way to disarm people and really set yourself apart and, Exactly. Be like, hey, I like this, and they're like, "Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> so, uh, I think uh, I think well, that's what Paul's getting at. So, I, I, I hope I answered the question. I think I think you did. I think you did. That was a that was a very nice answer. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, um, but yeah, no, I think I mean we got a bunch of other questions. I realize like we're running out of tape, I guess, or running out of digital tape, or at least the invisible tape that I put on my computer is now starting to wear thin. And <laughs> you um, the tape. Nick told you not to buy tape. I, know. I should have bought the don't 3M. go cheap. What was I Come on, <laughs> uh, this episode bought to you by Scotch Off Brand. Um, <laughs> no, so no. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's uh let's wrap up here uh you can follow all of us on twitter i want to say thank you to everyone who sent us questions this is like yeah. it means so much that people are actually like they care about the show and they want to talk to us and stuff so 
Thank you to Danny and thank you to everyone else who sent questions in. Um, but you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow Paul at Ohio Polly. And you've also got a really cool wrestling podcast, right, Paul? Uh, that's right. You can follow us, uh, Spike Pile Driver. You can find us on Twitter at Spike Pile Pod. Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Rappin. You can follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where I post stuff and I post polls on Sundays. This week's poll was who's the best swimmer, and I really hope everyone votes for my manga answer that I put in there. <laughs> Beyond that, feel free to go ahead and check out our Goodreads group, uh, where we have weekly threads. Uh, one thread that's getting a lot of traction right now is uh, what's your favorite incarnation of the X-Men? So if you have input on that, because you're not me, go ahead and send them that. <laughs> Beyond that, go ahead and check out our website, ircbpodcast.com. We have a pronunciation guide there for people whose names we've butchered in the past, and now we have a merch store. So if you want a t-shirt and you want to learn how to say say Joshua Hale Fielkov, <laughs> it's there. <laughs> Uh, you can also rate, uh, review, and subscribe to the show on whatever uh, podcasting platform you're using. That really helps out the show. It's honestly the best way to promote the show and support us. Um, if you have any other questions or if you have questions on our answers to these previous questions, email them to us, ircb at destroythesibe.org. Infinity Shred does all the music for our show. They're the best band in the universe. As I say every week, it's still true. For 150, 160 episodes, it's still true. Uh, Xander is the coolest guy. He, he gives the best high fives. If you ever see him, give him a thumbs up and a wink, and he'll feel really uncomfortable. I want to say <laughs> thank you to Paul and Nick for being on the show this week. I want to say thank you to Danny and everyone who sent us questions. Uh, and until next time, you know, I want you to be the person that Superman would want you to be. Thank you. So, before we get started on the second half, can I just mm. confess something to you guys? Yeah. Mm. I haven't told anybody else this yet. I finally watched Justice League the other night. Oh, man. I still haven't seen it, so, I mean, but go ahead. <laughs> oh. I just want to say, like, Don't, if you're going to worry about ruining anything, I don't oh, no. care. <laughs> I'll just say that, in lieu of spoilers, I'll say it was, wasn't bad in the ways I was expecting it to be bad. It okay. was bad in a lot of new and exciting ways that I wasn't <laughs> expecting. <so. laughs> it, you know, I, I honestly don't think I honestly don't think it was that bad. I thought we were movie. like veering out of Jace Lee Burn territory and then it just sort of <laughs> U-turned back and it's all aboard. Yeah. Here we go. It's just yeah. Oh, it's it's pretty did you see it, Mike? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had it's, a lot of drinks. I watched that movie and just went, oh, my God, for 100 hours, you know? I don't think I don't think in terms of, like, a superhero movie, it's really that much worse than, like, no. Avengers 2 or, you know? Make, no, you know ne- I mean? absolutely not. But it's so amazing because you watch the movie and you can you can see exactly the seams in it. You can see where every reshoot is. You can see every Joss Whedon written scene. Yep. It's, like, mm. it's so tonally all over the map. It's like... One and it's like cookie like, cutter, like yeah, in, in ways yeah. that are, it's like, it's like they're, they basically just had a bunch of scenes filmed and then they just kind of shoved them all together. Yeah. Right. It, it was really alarming just how sort of like thrown together and slapped together it felt. And he, they made a big point of saying like, oh, it's like we're keeping it under two hours, but it felt like seven hours when you're watching it. And because right. the scenes that didn't need to drag on, <laughs> dragged on. And then the scenes that needed to be like 
like play more into that. They just yeah. were like, no, no, we got four seconds. Shoot it, Ben. And then that Ben drank his whiskey and moved on. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was just, and I didn't understand watching it. I'm like, boy, they really could have marketed that movie a lot better because they made such a big deal about Aquaman and the trailers, but f- the flash was a way better character in the movie. Yeah. Like I really liked, um, what's his name? Um, I can't remember the kid's name that plays flash. He's really good. Yeah. Yeah. He's really good. And then like, I honestly felt that was the that was the most that Henry Cavill's actually looked and felt like Superman in any of the DC movies. Well, he like, was so was, like unabashedly positive, like in comparison to Man of Steel, which I felt like he yeah. struggled. And same with Batman versus Superman. Sorry, continue. No, it's a, that you're exactly right. You're watching the movie. I'm like, yeah, Superman is great. And like in the whole movie, people are like, yeah, Superman is the best, isn't he? I'm like, yeah. Why didn't you do that in the last two movies? Yeah, say yeah. how great he was. So it was just really fascinating. So to we were watch busy and, like, trying to make Superman dark, uh, a la Dark Knight. <laughs> right. I just and the same thing with all the other DC movies, especially Wonder Woman. It has the most cookie cutter villain imaginable. Like Seven Wolf is the most generic super villain I've ever seen. So. Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting to watch it after putting it off for so long. I'm like, yeah, this actually isn't that bad. It's just the bad parts are just really obvious. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. It feels like well. DC doesn't want to embrace the fact that it, it, it doesn't want to acknowledge what its source material is for some reason. Like, let's go goofy. Let's get weird. Yeah. Let's do crazy villains. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it's interesting to me because like they there's moments where Steppenwolf is like talking about the new gods and the fourth world, and he's talking about them as like they're there's this weird Lovecraftian like eldritch horrors that are coming to Earth. I'm like, that's an interesting interpretation. Like, it's not my version of the new gods, but that's interesting. Yeah, but it's wrong, <laughs> <laughs> right? But then the end of the movie, and then like again, it's kind of spoilery. But at the end of the movie is just like Lex Luthor and Deathstroke saying like, "Hey, we got to team up because they teamed up." It's like, well, you just set up a whole just like a whole like new god story, but if yeah, you do a that, sequel, it's going to be the Injustice Gang, I, apparently. Dude, when I watched that, and they were like, he was like, oh, the new god, and I was like, holy shit, is DC gonna like genuinely take a risk with this? Yeah, like, I exactly. was honestly expecting a different ending because they were like new gods, and I was like, oh god, right. I feel like <laughs> I, the little that I know is was it still made me excited to be exactly. like, oh, that's the direction they're gonna go, and then it's just like, oh no, no, big. Maybe they'll do New Gods and Justice League three when they've rebooted and recast half the cast. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. then you can just imagine when they're having like the pitch meeting for New Gods, and they're like, well, show us what like the New Gods will look like, and then they're like, well, there's this guy, and he floats around on a big chair, and then Zack Snyder is like, <laughs> no, 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 we are not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's in leather, okay? Everyone they all is wear sunglasses. Hardcore. You saw X Men. You saw the original X Men. It's basically that's that. the aesthetic we're going for, okay? That's the aesthetic. All right. Yeah. 